You're listening to SpartanUpPodcast.com, where we study success and everything required to create it. We interview people from all over the world that are successful, no matter how they defined it. SpartanUpPodcast.com. I am Sefer here with Joe and Colonel Nye and Johnny Waite in this Dr. beautiful Johnny. Dr. Johnny, <laughs> philosopher Johnny. And uh, in this beautiful barn in Pittsfield, Vermont, and we are going back to Joe's and mine. That's probably bad grammar. That's all right. We'll <laughs> Joe's sorry, and mine. Cornell. Yeah. Our alma mater, up to Cornell, to, uh, English to go talk to Professor Risa Mish and uh, Joe. What, how, well, how I mean, it's the same thing. We we want to find out what makes people successful, right? How people can persevere, how people get things done, and there was no better place to go than uh, than Cornell to talk to a couple of professors and say, "Hey, are we on the right track? What are we missing here?" And, and this is a great interview. Um, what's bizarre is when she asked me, you saw in the open about Donna Summers, my mother was a huge Donna Summers fan. Disco and Joe. Disco Joe. Uh, my dad actually owned a disco for a short period of time. Somebody got shot at the disco and it ended after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but my mother used to, whenever Donna Summers was playing, she'd go into the living room and make my sister and I dance. And um, at some point on one of these podcasts, maybe this one, we've got to talk about that because whoops, I think, um, I think not only is grit, determination, perseverance, all those things important, but um, having the ability to laugh oh, and sure. just enjoy yeah. Yeah. life, um, which is something my mother brought to the table, was uh, very powerful for us. You're going to love this interview. It's going to have an academic uh, feel to it, obviously, because that's where we were at Cornell, but, but let's watch it and see what happens. We are here at Cornell University um, for Spartan Up the Podcast with Professor Risa Mish. Did I get that right? You Risa? did. Risa Mish. Um, professor of Critical Thinking, Problem Solving, and Leadership. Yes. Did I get that right? You did. All right. So you started as a lawyer. I did. And we both agree that law firms uh, don't run always the best. Yes. And, and um, that's because maybe they're taught the wrong things in law school? Well, the focus in law school is on analytical thinking. That's extremely helpful. No doubt about it. You have to be able to do that to problem solve in a legal context. What we don't spend any time on, at least traditionally we haven't, is the law firm as organization, nor do we spend much time on the relationship between lawyer and client, which is the foundation of the work we do. It's a service profession, right? So ultimately, if you're satisfied in the profession, it's because you have a great sense of purpose, and the purpose is always client-driven, right? Yeah. But the organizations often lose sight of that, and you just put your head down and do the billable work. And that's not a formula for resilience, it's not a formula for motivation, it's not a formula for happiness. So, but the thing, I, I, when I hear you say that, I think I um, was lucky. I was running a small construction swimming pool business while I was at Cornell years ago. And um, I had no background. I had no um, training in how to run an organization. But what I did know, thinking back on it and, and looking at my, my years today running businesses, is I knew every day what was important to do and what wasn't important to do. That's pivotal. How, how, does, an, how does an Ivy League graduate lawyer not know what's important to do and what's not important to do on a daily basis. Because you can be confused about what's important, right? You're, you, you have an organization that's saying we're going to measure you, certainly on the degree to which the client is satisfied, but also on this unit of measurement, which is hours build, which is the economic model of a firm. And when that's your economic model, what it encourages is head down, generate lots of work. What makes the clients feel like they're being well served is that you understand their business, you partner with them to solve a problem. That may be, yes, by suing or 
defending a lawsuit, but it may be so much bigger than that. There's so much more opportunity. The lawyers would be, in my view, more motivated and have more fulfilling careers if we refocused on the purpose. Everybody watching this wants to be successful mm -hmm. in life, relationship, raising children, running businesses, doing a Spartan race. Let's talk about critical thinking related Please. to that. So, so give us some tips. How okay. So, so much of critical thinking is about recognizing what are the underlying assumptions that you're bringing to a decision. And are those assumptions in this specific context necessarily valid? What I mean by that is, so we talk a lot about experience and many people just assume oh, that. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hang on. That was a critical mistake. <laughs> I'm gonna just turn it off. <laughs> so, you know, people assume that more experience is always better. We should hire for experience, for example. So I'll give you that example. A lot of my clients do this. They're looking to hire someone. What do they look for? Someone who's done that exact same thing before. The assumption being, learning curve will be shorter, better for us. Is that, though, necessarily valid? When is experience not best? Well, for one thing, people come in with a whole set of assumptions based on those experiences, and they're maybe a little less open to what are the circumstances here? What are the differences? So one of the things that we ask our students in particular to think about with experience is, in what context did my experience arise? How is that similar to this context? How is it different? Do the distinctions matter? So that you don't just bring all your assumptions and plop them into a new context where you're not going to be as successful. So what made you successful in race A? Not necessarily the same tactics going to work in race B. Little context differences, even something, the weather, could change and should change your strategy rather than reflexively saying, well, it worked here, it'll work there. So, so, so you're saying you've got to be flexible in your you thinking, do. right? Uh, whether you're running the company or whether you're that individual being hired, um, you've got to be prepared for anything. Yes. Um, and, and I think, it's funny you say that because I, I mean, that's exactly what we train people for, right? Spar Spartan, um, at its core, is this uh, get out in bad weather, um, take cold showers, yes. do, do whatever uh, needs to be done that's gonna make you more resilient, right? And, yes. And so you open your mind. Yes. Right? Um, you're getting excited. I am because <laughs> what worked before doesn't always work next. Right. You have to have more options. You have to have a broader palette. So part of what you're talking about is put yourself in this variety of circumstances so that whatever comes at you, you can adapt. Right? Yeah. You know, this, this lack of flexibility is a real problem. The second thing we talk to our students about is, is getting very honest with yourself about what your biases are. Right? So initially in class, one of the amusing moments will be when a student raises his or her hand and says, I have none. Right? And, of, and, and the rest of the class laughs, and rightfully so, because we all do. So it's not a reasonable expectation to think you're going to eliminate all your biases. What is reasonable is to say, I'm going to be aware of them and how those pull me off course. And the counteracting to a bias, there's two ways. One is broaden your experience, right? And the other is to, to look for what we call disconfirming evidence. So actively search for it. So I'm going to come in with an idea that this is how it's going to go, but why might it not, right? Why might it not in advance? So if I were running a race and I'm trying to think of this is, these are my assumptions. What if I am wrong? Right. What next? What, right. what do I have to pivot with? Right. I'm going to carry the sandbag this way, when I, and hopefully I'm in the top five yes. at this point. But what if it doesn't work? What am yeah, I, And what? why might it not so that in advance you build what I call a mitigation strategy, right? right? So what are the reasons why this approach I'm inclined to pursue might not work? Right. 
In fact, we even talked to the students about doing something called a pre-mortem, which is imagine you failed, why did you? So now, like on the front end, build a strategy that takes those factors into account and hopefully takes them out of play. You know, I, I don't think I've ever talked about that. I like that a lot. Like, we always talk about success. Right. And how we're going to win. Right. Right? But we don't, that's a great strategy because let's go through the 20 reasons why we, we didn't win. Yes. And then, and then figure out alternative plans. Exactly. I like exactly. that a lot. Any others? So those are, those are really the, the main things. And then I think, you know, spending time with people who are very different from you in any number of respects is going to make you less susceptible to your own biases. It just broadens your, your experience set. So when we overgeneralize on the basis of experience, which is what stereotyping is, for example, it's because our data set is so narrow. So you want to go out of your way to do the uncomfortable thing, which is to spend time with people who are radically different. Take the cold shower. Take the cold shower. So our assignment is, in our context, is, okay, I'm not going to ask you to declare your political bias, but I will tell you that when I want a, a laugh, what I do is flip back and forth between MSNBC and Fox on the same night right. to see the same event reported radically differently, like you weren't even on the same planet. So if you are an MSNBC person, I make you watch Fox for a week and vice versa, right? Just to force yourself to confront different perspectives on instead of what we do in this society because we have cable TV, you can just have your tiny worldview reinforced over and over and over again. Man, right? I'm, I'm starting to get my whole um, existence justified listening to you. <laughs> this is great. Oh, I'm so happy I could provide that service. <laughs> great. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in a minute. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. My producer says we need a lot of reviews on iTunes so that Apple will make it easy for you to find our show. Can you help us out by subscribing and writing a review? Would really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. We're back and we're talking about critical thinking. Okay. All right. So the way we train our students is to start always with context. So we ask them before you start problem solving, get grounded in the context in which the problem arises. The Western bias is toward action. Right? So if you watch students who are from America, Canada, and you give them a problem, immediately they start solving. And what we say to them is, you don't know what you're solving yet. Step back. The students from Asia do not do that, actually. They sit there, they ponder, they think, then they start. So what, where are you? What is the context in which, what do you know about it? What do you think you know about it? What are you assuming about it? Why might that be wrong? Second thing is, what problem are you solving? If you've ever been in one of those meetings that seem to like the sands of the hourglass are just going like this and your life is wasting away, you've been in those kind of meetings? Lots of them. Yes, and here's why. We don't start with what problem are we solving. If we began every meeting with that, the meetings would go very quickly, right? Because it grounds you. And make sure you're solving the right problem, right? Because what looks like the problem often a symptom of a bigger picture problem, right? That's true in a race. You can think of race analogies in which that would be so. Sure. And then, once you're sure that you have the context right, you know what problem you're solving, step three is what caused it. What are the root causes? So what problem solving actually is, is either eliminating or mitigating the causes. That's what we mean by problem solving. There's a a, a very famous um, hedge fund out there, a guy runs it named Ray Dalio, I mean, wildly successful, maybe the most successful um, hedge fund, and his root causes is his main discussion all day, every day. He's right. And why that's so helpful is because 
if you think a problem has only one cause and you start diving into that, the problem will be left unsolved. Problems always have multiple causes, almost always complicated ones do. And so if you just eliminate one cause and you leave three others unidentified, have you solved the problem? No. Right. Right. So if you lost the race, bringing it back to race context. Yes. Yes. Um, there's, there's many reasons why. Many possible reasons. So what's happening? Well, we might have tackled those in advance had we used your... Exactly. Right? You might have. Right. So if you have a lot of race experience, one of the, this is an advantage of experience is to help you build your own, what I would call a framework of possible causes so that in advance you can tick through them and say, have I addressed this? Have I addressed this? Have I, do you, so you do the best you can to eliminate in advance as many possible causes so that the problem gets solved. And you would use that for building a business? You would, would use, use that for everything. relationship, anything? Anything. So I tackle organizational issues. Organizational right. issues almost always have what I would call four categories of causes. You got the wrong people, you've got the wrong structure, you've assigned the people the wrong tasks or the culture is bankrupt, right? right? So when you know that you have those four things, right, then you just take all the facts you've got and you fill the buckets. If you got a full bucket, you got a root cause. Um, how often are you in Boston? Ah, well, so when I'm invited, that's the answer. All right, well, we want you in Boston. Excellent, it would be my pleasure. Because um, we're moving really fast as a company. That's great. It's, it's four years old, uh, we're in 17 countries, and we can't complain because we've gone from here and today is better than yesterday. Right. But it's never good enough, right? right. You're, never, yes. you're never there. And um, we could definitely use uh, some of that kind of thinking. Is there a worksheet or something there that, is. that someone can use to... Yes. So um, I will tell this is what's funny when you ask a lawyer to teach a class, okay? My first year that I taught, I get to the end of the class, a student raises his hand and says, you know what we need here? We need a one-pager. And I said, what's a one-pager? Because I didn't even know what one was. Lawyers just don't even think like that. So this student and I work together. We have a one-pager, the entire course, the entire method on one piece of paper. Love it. I'd love to see that. Well, it will be, um, be my pleasure to send it to you. Awesome. And what's your favorite exercise? Could be anything. Physical exercise? Physical. Dance. Dance. For sure. For sure. Because it's the one that doesn't even feel like exercise. My mother used to uh, run into the living room and start um, dancing with me to Donna Summers. Perfect. And, uh, Perfect. Your mother and I would get along very yeah. nicely. So anything that was playing in the 70s, she was dancing in the living room yeah. and I had to do it with her. There you go. So if you heard that music now, it would be a very right, positive gotta, association gotta, for you. Gotta go. Excellent. Yeah. So we may have to do a turn to Donna We'll, we'll dance in um, Boston. We'll <laughs> okay. get the one page and we'll get this wrapped up. That sounds great. All right. That's wonderful. What a pleasure it was to meet oh, you. Oh, it was my pleasure. So I'll jump in with this one. Yeah. All right. Are we starting with you? Yeah, sure. Johnny's great. <laughs> what a cool lady. Uh, you know, you'd said at the start about it was going to have an academic feel to it, and it actually had a real spirit to it. She's a she's a she's an interesting gal. Yeah, she was um, she was a lot of fun. We we've interviewed um, some people at Academia before, and um, they weren't as fun as she was. She's she's got spirit, and mm -hmm. sometimes that spirit is the difference between success and failure too, right? Mm -hmm. Just just being loud and just being uh, engaging, yeah. and she's got that. Yeah, magnetic, we, right? Yeah, we've talked we've talked before about grit and perseverance, and we have this image of you know head down, scowling grit. I think her specialty is resiliency and leadership, so. Colonel, well, I defer to you on yeah. that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the part, I would, the part I was most taken with was when she was talking about experience, and just because you have experience doesn't mean you're always going to make the best decisions. Right. And then about how if everybody has the, the same experience, again, that, that maybe you don't, you don't see the new opportunity. 
and that you don't, you know, you don't adapt quickly enough. And again, this goes back to other podcasts we had. But just because you have experience, it doesn't always mean that experience is good. There's good and bad experiences. But even if you have the same experience, I think that's what she's getting at. If you have the same experiences, how, how do you get those other voices in there? And how do you get the setting of voices? And right. how do then you arrive at maybe a different conclusion? Yeah, and I like, I like what she did when she said... Um, flip your assumptions, right? And so anyone who had a bias, she talked about the, the political bias, you just, you have them watch the, the opposing commentary on it, right? And so you, you flip into a different frame of reference and then maybe it makes you think differently or have a different perspective on, yeah, on is something. That, is that yeah. walk a mile in someone else's shoes? Yeah, is that- I, I tell you, when I watch political debates, I won't tell you which channels I watch or don't watch, but I watch, politi- I watch a political debate and I always turn the channel to the opposing, because uh, I want to see what they've got to say. I already, I already know what I think. I haven't you seen know, TV I, in a while. I, I want to see what people who I know don't think the same as I do think. Sure. So I mean, but I think it's important to do that. I think you've got to get the the uh, alternative that, uh, viewpoint. Dr. Johnny, is that um, is that lack of ego in a positive way? You know, is that some? Well, like, it, like not it, everybody can buy into someone sure. else's philosophy. It, or, it can be both, right? It can be purely strategic that you're just trying to see what the enemy is up to. But it can also be, and I think it really is, we've talked about emotional maturity in the, uh, the Mark Devine interview before. And there is an emotional maturity to the idea that just because I think this doesn't mean that it's always right. Sure. And uh, you know, she talks about your biases and, and just being aware of them. It doesn't mean you're always going to reject your biases, but if you're not aware of them and it's simply a filter that's on all the time, you're not looking at reality. You're looking at your filter on reality. Mm-hmm. So if you can take in opposing viewpoints, what, what's, you and I re- talked about this before, that uh, one, of the, um, uh, one of the hallmarks of an intelligent mind is to be able to hold two opposing thoughts Right and, right, and, right, and, right, and still be able Damn to act, it. Who, right? Who, um, who quoted that? Uh, it'll come to us. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. But, but that's exactly what you're talking about, the idea that I don't have to hold rigidly to my way of being and assume it's the only possible way. And we have the advantage, you know, like you say, you've interviewed a ton of people, and these were a while ago. We've all watched it more recently. But um, so you're remembering the, the Donna, Summer, Donna Summer's disco, which is, which is a great moment. Yeah. Um, I really liked, you know, her whole thing about just because you have an experience and just because you have a bias doesn't mean you're always going to make the right decision. And that you have to look at those things and say, my environment affects that. Uh, this situation might be different than the last situation, so I have to approach it individually. And also, and I love what you say, see what the other people are thinking. Not just go in with your automatic blinders on, right. but realistically, what would be a balanced perspective to bring to this? And, and that's true leadership, right? Yeah, it absolutely. I, mean, I, think. I was at a military school back when I was a major once, and this general came in, and it was the first time I'd ever met him. But he came in, and the whole school was about how to write an order, how to write an operations order. And so he took it and then said, okay, who, who here doesn't agree with this? You know, of course, since you're in a military environment and somebody, student, if you will, has been the leader and you don't want to go against that. But if it's, all right, somebody, who didn't agree with this? So somebody raised their hand and said, all right, as a leader, you should always then tell that guy to go write his own plan. Just have him sit off in a corner and write it separately from everybody else and then bring it back into the group. And I guarantee you're going to find one or two things in there that you either didn't think about or that you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I dismiss that, but I like the way you said it. And then you bring that in. You don't have to accept the entire plan, right. but there, there's going to be nuggets in there that you can incorporate. Absolutely. So don't I'm shut a, that, don't shut that guy yeah, down. I'm a big in fact, in give, him the, give him the latitude to go off and do it himself. I, I can't think of something that frustrates uh, Spartan Race headquarters more than when I bring in outside people with different ideas, completely um, unconnected to what we do. Um, because it disrupts the organization, sure. but but um, I think that's healthy. And Disruption I think I, keeps it fresh. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think that's healthy, yes. and I think um, I think we shouldn't think that we have the greatest ideas, yeah. or that right. 
yeah. the greatest um, biases or whatever, yeah. we have to assume that other people can add value too. And Tim's mentioned many times that as long as you have that objective in mind and that you don't change the objective, you don't bring somebody else in who says we're gonna change everything about where we're going. But if you have that objective in mind, it definitely helps to explore different paths to get there. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's a huge part of resiliency too. I mean, you can use the example of of a wilderness survival situation, right? And, and true leadership is making sure everyone who's with you feels empowered and that their voice is heard in whatever in whatever manifestation that is, because everyone has their own expertise and something that they're bringing to it. And and a great way to be a leader is is opening up a forum to be able to be receptive to that. And I think I think she did a, a great job of. Uh, tying that in with how that can be make make you successful in life and in, in business we're gonna go back and talk to her more at, at some oh, point yeah, because uh, she, she can add a lot of value she put together some uh, some great programs she said with the students that actually are a test to help mm -hmm. um, help you think uh, this way and, and help build perseverance resiliency etc cool. so um, what do you yeah, got no that's great and you know what that's obviously what we're talking about here on Spartan SpartanUpPodcast.com, and uh, it really is about uh, grit, perseverance, and, um, and and finding ways to get there. So uh, having that, an open mind, yeah, having an open mind. So if you want to open your mind, go to SpartanUpPodcast.com, and uh, you'll see lots of great stuff there. We keep talking about Colonel Nye's uh, interactive corner that we're coming up with. He'll be and, dancing uh, to Donna Summers. And, and Joe dancing to Donna yeah. Summers. Uh, there, that, there will be an icon yeah. you can click. Behind uh, the scenes footage. 